Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you're there at home and you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and find the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. It's roughly in the middle of your Bible. Or if you're new to the Bible, the very front has a table of contents, and you'll find it in the middle of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to be in two other texts after that, but that's just the first one. So last week I had a pre-sermon to share uh, with the church family before the sermon, and and I have another one because there's just too much going on in our world. Um, It's interesting how God put this series on my heart a long time ago, and I, I see it. Um, as very timely. Uh, A world in crisis needs Christians to be better with our money. Amen? Um, But there's something I want to say. There's specific specific and repeatable, observable Christian history as to what Christians have done during outbreaks of disease. We're not flying blind as to what Christians have done in the past. And specifically... In the second century AD, there was a plague in the Roman Empire that lasted for 15 years. And the Christians were running to the trouble, not running away from it. They were running to uh, the people that were sick. And there were a lot of people in the Roman Empire that died. At the start of that plague, Christians are estimated to have been less than 1% of the Roman Empire And at the end of the plague, they were more than 3% of the Roman Empire. Now, 3% might sound like a small amount to you, but imagine an entire faith triples. And why does it triple? Imagine, just theoretically, that there was a disease and everybody was bathed in fear. When it subsides, and everybody can take a deep breath, and the fear subsides... If you're on a spiritual journey and you want to connect with somebody else who has spiritual thoughts and convictions, we're talking about the Roman Empire here. There are plenty of temples, temple to Jupiter, Uranus, Mars, okay? Those aren't just planets. Those are Roman gods. Am I going to go to the temple where the priest there fled for his life and I never saw him again when he found out I was sick? Or am I going to go to the house down the street where I know that there are 20 or 30 of those weirdos, that weird cult that people talk about, that cult that stayed, and that cult that took care of me when I was sick, that cult that took care of my sister-in-law when she was sick? If you call yourself a Christian, I'm asking you to very seriously consider how critical it is that we not be dominated by fear. We who are supposed to have no fear of death at all, I'm not saying this in triviality. You guys watch the same news that I do. Over 30,000 people have died worldwide. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than me. God is the only one right now who's not freaked out. What does Citrus Heights need from us right now, ARCF? What do Roseville and Fair Oaks and Sacramento and Carmichael, what do they need from us right now? They need faith, they need courage, they need love, they need prayer. 
tangible, reasonable, sometimes extravagant acts of love and service. That's what our city needs from us right now. That's my pre-sermon, okay? Today is the sixth out of a seven-part series called The Heart Beneath Money. And if you're new, I want to bring you along. Again, as I've said to those who have been with us before, Getting Jesus to talk directly about money is darn near impossible because Jesus is God and he knows how the human heart works. And so he knows that when a human being comes and says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to split our father's inheritance with me, the human being standing in front of him thinks they've got a, a relational financial problem. And Jesus says, no, you've got a heart problem. You love money more than you love your brother. Oh, well, I didn't come for that. Yeah, right? It's, it's, it's tough coming to a doctor when you've already decided what the cure is. But that's not humble, is it? Humility says, I'm going to come to the doctor, and I'm going to let the doctor tell me what's wrong. So Jesus, the great physician, constantly deals with human financial issues by getting down to the heart of who and what we worship and what is ultimate, and are bright and shiny things more important to us than people, are bright and shiny things more important to us than God? Or do we think that bright and shiny things are the center of our universe and our existence. Today's sermon is entitled The Wealth of Eternity. There is such a thing as wealth that lasts for eternity. Jesus tried to say it over and over again. Paul said it. James said it. The the writers of the Bible said it. John definitely said it. Many of you at home right now, if you follow closely, you've seen the Dow Jones climb and drop by thousand point plus And that'd be regular, that'd be normal the last three or four weeks. And my hope is, even though none of us likes to lose money, my hope is that that reality might just convince us right now that money is not trustworthy. That if money was at the center of my existence, maybe it's a lousy deity that can and will betray me at a moment's notice for things that I can't see, things I can't understand, things I can't control. It can and it will betray me. So if you're the type of person who loves taking notes and you have a pen or pencil out and you're writing uh, on a piece of paper somewhere, I've I've got three things that the scriptures are going to tell us today. And I'll tell you right now where we're going. Physical wealth is not eternal. Spiritual wealth is eternal. And the church that doesn't pursue eternal wealth is rebuked by Jesus. That's the whole sermon, in case you want to know. Physical wealth is not eternal. Spiritual wealth is eternal. And the church that doesn't pursue eternal wealth is rebuked by Jesus. That's where we're going today. That first point, physical wealth is not eternal. I'm going to turn with you to Ecclesiastes 5. And we're going to hear from Solomon, king of Israel, who, by the way, he had more money than you. Just a little bit more money than you. You don't have to imagine what a, the wealth of an ancient king is, but he can build entire palaces just because he says so. We're going to start at verse 10. He's writing this at the end of a long life, filled with everything he could have ever wanted. Has some perspective on what actually gave him happiness and what didn't. Verse 10 of, of Ecclesiastes 5. Those who love money will never have enough. Is that a big one or what? How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, are you ready for this? The more people come to help you spend it. 
Is that crazy or what? Some of you guys know. Emily and I were having a conversation yesterday. I'll tell you what it was, but we're having this conversation, and she opens up her phone 15 minutes later, and there's an advertisement, I think, in her Facebook feed for the exact thing that we were talking about. If, you know, hashtag creepy, right? You guys know that. Your phone is listening to you. If you have money, there's somebody out there who wants to help you spend that money. They're here for you. And it's called the service industry. I'm serving you for a small fee, right? The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? There's the entertainment of money, watching it slip through your fingers. That's about the amount of entertainment it can give you. There's another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Hoarders don't believe that, by the way. If you don't believe that sentence, you might be a hoarder. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. Hmm. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Is that good perspective? We cannot take it with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. And again, he's talking about money. What, if you hoard it, it's a curse on you, not a blessing. If you're not earning enough that you can hoard it, you're really just watching it slip through your fingers. And no matter what your level of success in obtaining physical wealth, you cannot take it with you when you die. I think one of the Proverbs says that, that the grave is similar to the poor and the rich. Like, you're equal. The minute you die, you're both the same. You're equal. So physical wealth, money, dollars, yen, yuan, the euro, you cannot take it with you. Gold, silver, can't take it with you. Real estate, can't take it with you. It's not eternal. Why on earth are we allowing something that's not eternal to totally drive our thinking, to totally drive our decision-making, to fight with each other over it? Except that we think we can trust it. I, I trust money because I can feel like I can see it. Trusting God? Ah, uh, you know, I can't see him. That really is the issue. Faith is the evidence of things we can't see. I do not trust Jesus. I'm like, I'm having to close my eyes and I'm envisioning his cross and I'm, I'm thinking of him hanging there, of his initiative, purchasing freedom for me, freedom from my sins so that I can be reconciled to God. And I have to remind myself and I have to think of it and go, if I love Jesus, I have already inherited every spiritual blessing and I'm going to be in heaven for eternity with him. But I forget that and what I can see is the dollar bills that are or are not in my wallet. That's what I can see. What I can see is the bill of can I pay this bill or can I not. So really the issue is, where's my faith? If I'm a Christian and I say I trust Jesus, money kind of shows us where our faith ends. I, I trust God this much. 
Spiritual wealth is eternal. Physical wealth is not eternal. Spiritual wealth is eternal. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. If you're new to the Bible, that's the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to go to Luke 12 to hear what Jesus has to say. I'm going to start reading at verse 29. This is Jesus. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father, so who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. People of different faiths, he says, have their thoughts dominated of worry about these kind of things. But your father, I lost my spot, already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give you everything that you need. How precious if we could get ourselves to believe that one, huh? That'd be powerful. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe, and no thief can steal it, no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And this is the point, and again, I, I want to provide a gut check for your own heart so that you grow in light of what Jesus is telling you. In verse 33, when Jesus said, sell your possessions and give it to the poor, if you immediately go, oh, Jesus is using a metaphor. Well, I wonder what the deeper meaning is that. What does sell your possessions actually mean? If you did that, you love money. Okay? I'm not saying that because I'm upset with you. I'm not saying that because Jesus is upset with you. Jesus loves you. Your pastors love you enough to teach you the Bible, and it's going to press in on things in your heart that don't belong there. If you immediately go, oh, that must be some kind of a fluffy, well, what does that really mean? What's the deeper meaning of sell your possessions and give to the poor? What's the deeper meaning? You, if you did that, I, if I did that, we are trying to wiggle away from obedience. We're trying to wiggle because obeying our Savior is one thing. He saved me. That's kind of cool. I guess I love him. But treating him as a Lord who's over me, well, that's harder. That, that's harder. I, I like the idea of Jesus washing away my sins. But him being the center of my existence, am I so sure? Again, that's a faith issue too. Because if I trust him to run my life, I'm actually going to have more faith. Yes, Jesus, take the wheel. If I trust him to run my life, I'm going to embrace the commands of God as a blessing for me and a blessing for others around me. I mean, we already heard from Solomon, if I succeed at gaining lots of wealth and if I hoard it, it's a curse for me. It's actually... Poor, it goes poorly for me if I amass tons of wealth. So if I believe him, then I can see it when Jesus says, sell your stuff and give it to the poor. And that's interesting because if you are the poor, is that command for you? If you are the poor, this command means have the humility to receive assistance. If you were raised in middle-class America, you probably, if you're anything like me, we really, really struggle to admit when we have need we really struggle to receive blessing and assistance from other people. Brothers and sisters, I'm begging you to, to just pay attention. You, you don't have to read between the lines too much in the news right now. 
we are in a place where tons of people have lost their jobs and probably more are going to lose their jobs. And I'm, I'm blessed to say we had church members on Friday driving around looking for toilet paper that they didn't need to give it to other church members. That has to become more and more normal if needs are going to get met. That's a good thing. You cannot obey this. If you have resources right now, you cannot obey this if you love money. But on the receiving end, you cannot participate in obedience if you're going to be proud. So ARCF, if you have needs, I'm begging you, please let us know that you have needs. We want, we've got brothers and sisters that have come and flat out told me, Greg, my income has gone up because of the type of job that I have. I am in more demand right now, not less. We're actually going to have more money. People have come to me and said that. There are others that are losing their jobs. It's just disruption. The church of Jesus Christ must love and serve each other well, even as we love and serve our world. Please, please, please let me know if you're in need right now. Because I've got people who have let me know they have resources. And we can meet each other's needs. We can love each other. We can care for each other. Now here's what I need to tell you if you're at home. What I need to tell you about this verse. When Jesus says to his church, hey, little flock, don't worry. Your father knows about your needs. He's talking about a kingdom that he creates through his cross. After he says these words, he goes to a cross to pay the penalty for sin against God that you and I have all committed. And he adopts us into his family when we trust in his blood to wash away our sin instead of trusting our own good efforts. It's, it's actually very offensive to God to think that I, when I think that I can do enough good stuff to justify myself because I am minimizing his holiness, I'm minimizing what I've done to him in my arrogance and rebellion, and I'm also minimizing his cross. So I'm doing a number of offensive things when I say I can be good enough on my own. We are a part of the kingdom, we are adopted into the kingdom where Christ is king, when we trust his blood to wash away our sins and reconcile us to the Father. So I need you to know that because there is a Discovery Channel version of Jesus out there, there's a version that you heard in your philosophy class at Sac State of him being a nice teacher, and I just need you to know what the Bible says about him. He is the God-man who offers his blood to wash away the sins of all of humanity, to any in humanity that simply want that forgiveness. Okay? Because this command, talking this, this statement, hey, well, the spirit, there's this thing called spiritual wealth. He ended it by saying, sell your possessions, give to the poor. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Spiritual treasure, spiritual wealth, something that is already very real, even though you can't see it, and it'll be a blessing to you when he takes you there. When you close your eyes for the last time physically, and you're with Jesus for eternity, there is treasure that is real, and we don't think it's real, again, because we can't see it. Heaven help us. We believe in love. We believe in liberty, truth, justice. We're basically bohemians. We believe in all of these things, and yet the materialist side says, if I can't touch it, it's not real. So a bohemian and a materialist really can't get along very well. And as an American, I tend to be both, and I don't see the hypocrisy in my own thinking. I, I'm not trying to go into a philosophy class right now. I'm just saying we tend to do that. We'll, in one breath, we'll say, if I can't touch it, I don't believe in it. But we absolutely believe in liberty, and I can't touch liberty. So we've got to decide which part of ourselves we're going to, like, where do we land, Okay. Because Jesus is jumping in with the Bohemians right now and saying, there are all kinds of spiritual realities that are so true that you cannot touch. They're very, very true. And Jesus would say they are more true than the things that you can touch. Because they're eternal, and this won't last forever. Or Plato's cave. Uh, if you're familiar, 
if there's a, a, a fire at the entrance to the cave and there's a chair and the shadow of the chair goes up on the wall, Plato theorized that every single chair in this room was just a shadow of a greater form, that there was this ultimate chair, there was this thing, and, and the Bible even mimics that language. There is a greater reality, and we can't see it, because in Plato's cave, everybody has changed the wall, and all they can see is the wall. They can't see the greater form behind them. There's a greater spiritual reality. We cannot see it, but it is more real than the things that we can see. Plato was right. He just didn't realize how right he was. Let's get practical. If you are a Christian, and you have access to spiritual wealth because you're going to heaven, you're reconciled, you're a friend of God, you're a child of God, you're not his enemy any longer, right? If you want to remain God's enemy, that's, that's up to you. I would beg you not to do that. But if you do not want his forgiveness, you want to remain his enemy, you're not interested in heaven, you're not interested in fellowship with Jesus, that's a choice. But if you do want Jesus, you've investigated, you've thought about it, and you've found him beautiful and desirable, and I want him to be the center of my existence, this command of, hey, store up treasure in heaven, this command is for you. Let's get practical on what are some ways that we can do this. Let's get real. Let's get practical, okay? One, if you're taking notes, just jot this down somewhere. Give money to someone who's lost their job. Give money to someone who's lost their job. There's so much uncertainty right now of, am I getting a check from the government? If so, how much? What is unemployment going to look like? This, that, and the other. And... The Church of Jesus Christ does not need to wait around to see what the government does in order to be generous. All right? The worst thing that could happen is that if you're overly generous and you gave $500 to another family right now because they lost their job, and then a huge government check comes in and all of their needs are met, you know what they can do? They can now turn around and be generous. That does not negate the fact that you are showing the heart of God in your generosity. And I know that if you put aside some dollars to give somebody, I'm sure it would look just like this. I, I Googled that. Uh, if ARCF was generous, what would it look like? And then this is what Google produced. Um, that might not be totally true. So give somebody some money. Uh, something else you can do. Feed somebody currently experiencing homelessness. Um, I caught wind this week. I heard from a, a few different ministry leaders that uh, the homeless community is probably more scared than most. The inability to gather is creating very, very scarce resources for those that are accustomed to things like soup kitchens or uh, boxed lunch, different, different things that uh, our homeless brothers and sisters have had access to, don't necessarily have access to anymore. Um, that does not change where somebody lives. The, this, the person that is walking down the street before quarantine, that same person, you still see them walking down the street, right? They're still there, Okay. And there's nothing stopping you. There's no law that stops you from driving through somewhere, getting food, and handing it to that person. There's no law against that. There's just none. And, and I'm excited to share with you that if you're a part of uh, ARCF, you're actually, without knowing it, you're already a part of what's going on. There was a ministry that was handing out boxed dinners on Tuesdays and Fridays uh, over here at Rush Park and... Uh, I guess because of the parks shutting down and the, the desire to not have people gather, Citrus Heights Police gave that ministry permission not to have a gathering location with set-up table, but literally to just hand out boxed dinners out of the back of a van 
So it's the exact same food, but it's kind of a, a pseudo-portable, and they were not allowed to meet over there anymore. So two things have happened. One, they are here now. Tuesdays and Fridays at 4 p.m., uh, pass this along. If you've got a, a friend who's experiencing homelessness, they can get a meal. Uh, Tuesdays and Fridays at 4 p.m., and they've recently expanded to Sundays also. These boxed dinners are happening right here in our church parking lot. A van is just rolling up, and they're sticking around for maybe 30 minutes or so, and they're feeding whoever walks up, and then they leave. That's what the Citrus Heights police have allowed to happen right now, okay? So uh, I say that if you happen to be in need, but um, I say that to say this ministry is already going on. Christians are already doing Christian you know, stuff. This property, I don't know if you guys know this, if you've heard this sermon before, this is God's. It all belongs to God, but specifically his church. This is God's. It's God's people from a different church showing up, giving God's food on God's property to image bearers to people who need dinner. And so that's, that's one way that you could participate. Find somebody who looks like they're hungry. Feed them. Nothing's stopping you from doing that. You could, here's the third idea, you could give generously to ARCF's general fund. Give generously to ARCF's general fund. I've told you guys before, if you're a regular, about half of our general fund right now pays our staff. And I'm not just saying it because they're in the room. We've got good staff. We have good people. And I want you to think, I want you to feel really good. When you give a dollar, and basically 49 cents on the dollar right now is paying staff, I want you to think about the ministries that our staff are running and their specific, the puzzle piece that God has designed them to be. You ask yourself, could I do Conrad's job? And the answer is somewhere between no, probably not, and heck no. <laughs> then what that means is, you are grateful, as a Christian who's a part of the ARCF family, you are grateful that Conrad is in the place that he's in, right? And even if you don't like Conrad, look who else is in the picture, right? We love Rachel. So listen, Conrad is already too skinny for his own good. I've been telling him for a year and a half he needs a sandwich. If our staff, not all of us are suffering from that same problem, but some of our staff need a sandwich, okay? And I say this to say, when you give to the general fund, half of that is taking care of people that are leading really important ministries. Now, it's critical that I reiterate this. The staff do not do ministry. Ephesians 4.12 say that the, we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Staff are just a small handful of people where their tasks are so important to the church family, we need them to spend more time doing that instead of working outside of the church at some other normal job. And that's why we compensate them. But what they are doing primarily is not doing all the work themselves. They are training and equipping and recruiting the rest of us as an army of volunteers. That's ultimately what a staff member is, that we are training, recruiting, equipping, inspiring an army of volunteers to be the Church of Jesus Christ in Citrus Heights and to the ends of the earth. Giving regularly to the ARCF General Fund takes care of our staff, amongst other things, and it allows good ministry to happen. This is a practical way to store up treasure in heaven, because when you see Jesus one day, will, will you care, you, not even Jesus, will you care more that you got yourself a new toy or that you made sure that the carols were taken care of? I'm asking you, what will you care about? 
millions and millions of years in the future, when you're in glory with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, what will you wish you had done with your money? Okay? Something else you can do. Plan a post-quarantine trip to Goodwill. This is our Goodwill right here at Sylvan Corners. As many of you guys know, it's shut down right now. But since you're stuck at home, you can go through your garage, you can go through your closet, and you can throw away what's truly trash, and you can start a really legit set of boxes, a Goodwill pile, because people who are accustomed to getting clothing at a very, very good price do not have access to it right now. That's a problem. And it's going to, a problem that's going to probably experience, we're going to see some backlog. When things open up, I imagine Goodwill's going to be slammed. And what they're going to need is lots of good donations from us, frankly, pre-washed. Guys, wash it. Give good stuff that you'd be proud if your father watched you give it because he's watching you. Give good stuff. Wash it. Fold it. Have it ready. Because one day our government's going to say that Goodwill can open up. And there's going to be need. You're stuck at home anyway. Go ahead, please, ARCF. Go ahead and sort through the things. We, we follow a Savior who said, if we've got two coats, one of them is totally unneeded. Give it to somebody who needs a coat. Again, you can start looking for a metaphor of what's the deeper meaning, or you could just obey. Something else you could do, ARCF, to store up treasure for heaven, is take another look at your budget. Take a close look at your family's budget. If you've been in or around the business world, you've heard this said a million times. If I, plan, if I fail to plan, I am planning to fail. If I fail to plan, I am planning to fail. To sit down before the month starts and say, Lord, how would you have us spend your resources? This is a way to make sure that your core values are really reflected in your family's money. Or as Dave Ramsey says, if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll always wonder where it went. You have to decide in advance. And maybe it is giving to the church. Uh, maybe it is an attempt at a tithe or something bigger than a tithe. But what if it was simply the generosity fund? What if your family, based on your cash flow, adopt, adapt these numbers to you? $50 could be unbelievably generous for your family, or maybe it needs to be something much larger. But what if you just set aside $200 for the month of April and said, honey, if you're married, honey, these 200 bucks." We're going to find a way to meet needs with these 200 bucks. Why not? You're making a plan before April starts of how you're going to be generous. And if it is something that makes glad the heart of your father, then Jesus just told you, you are storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Brothers and sisters, you and I can believe Jesus or we can call him a liar. Those are our options. Those are our options. We either believe he's waxing eloquent and he's just kind of being silly, or we think he's telling the truth. This is kind of a Holy Spirit selfishness. Do you realize you could be selfish in the way that you serve Jesus? It's kind of demanded because through these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talks constantly about his Father's desire and intent to bless his children for good works. Is that crazy? That can be idolatry unto itself. I don't do this so that I worship the gift I want to worship the giver. He's the center of my existence, not the cool things. Especially when those gifts he's saying are eternal. They may not come in this life. 
But Jesus talks about those gifts constantly. So we're calling him a liar if we do not believe what he says. You will store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Eternal wealth is yours. One action at a time that makes glad the heart of your father. One action at a time. Eternal wealth, eternal wealth, eternal wealth. Imagine, brothers and sisters, a 401k that could not go down. That is what the Christian has access to. And it is still small compared to our greatest inheritance. Our inheritance is that we have Christ. To have him, to be in right relationship with him, to for all eternity enjoy his presence and his love and the hope and peace that come from being with him. And we don't know all what these blessings look like, but here's what we do know. In heaven, gold, which we think is an asset, they use it as concrete. In heaven, they just use it to pave the street. That's how small a thing gold is. Last. The church that doesn't pursue eternal wealth is rebuked by Jesus. Did you guys know that? Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, this is the very last book of the Bible. Revelation, chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 15. There's an aged, I told you guys, uh, I think it was just last week, I told you recently about John, how he was, they attempted to kill him and he survived, and so they exiled him to Patmos. He's an old man now, last of the uh, apostles, the rest have been martyred, and he's on this island, and Jesus shows up to him and reveals to him all of these images and says, write these things down for the blessing of the churches. And that's where the book of Revelation comes from. This was revealed to John. So this is Jesus speaking to one of the church, one of the local churches there in Turkey. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Okay, so does this sound like a metaphor now? It better be, because Jesus has never before said to buy physical gold. Like, so this, this, this has to be a metaphor, right? Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. So he already deconstructed their statement about themselves. We've got tons of earthly wealth. We're doing fine. And he's saying, nope, you need a different type of gold. And it's kind you can only buy from me. That's how we know that it's not physical gold he's talking about. You can only get it from me. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. So this is critical biblical imagery. He's talking about something that's morally pure. Your outer garment is how you're viewed, your identity. He's talking about his own righteousness purchased by his blood. Jesus is not going into the clothing business. He's not selling physical clothing. He is saying, by me, you can have value that lasts for eternity. By me, you can walk into heaven with pure white garments as if you're morally perfect. I'm the only way you're going to get into heaven. I'm the only one who can give you garments where you look, in, look as if you've never sinned. No one else can give you those. That's what he's saying. So you not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Again, 
And for those of you who've been with us for our journey through the Gospel of John, Jesus, uh, through the Gospel of John, he's constantly using light and darkness as imagery, and it's very offensive when God tells us that we're spiritually blind. But if he's God, he's, got a little bit, he's a little more in touch with reality than we are. So we've, we've got to embrace that he's telling us that for a reason. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So you want to know why he's telling you you're blind? He loves you. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends at our disciple group. Then, what? I'm just sneaking things in. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This letter is to a local church. And he's telling this local church, you're sitting there comfortable going, and two things are listed. We don't have any needs and we don't have any wants. Both are listed off of their own lips. We don't have any needs, we don't have any wants. We're doing fine. And Jesus says, wrong. Brothers and sisters, American Christians, okay? The amount of wealth in North America allows us to very consistently think that we don't have any real needs. We don't have it even, even any wants. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm, you know, other than commercials constantly trying to elicit covetousness in my heart, I, I, we're, we're fine. We're doing okay right now. We're, we're fine. What if Jesus says you're not fine? What if you have tons of cash? What, what if you saw this whole thing coming and you sold everything in your 401k before things got dark and you bought gold and so it's gone up 30% in the last month? What if you sat in cash and you're just feeling really smart right now? Oh, I'm smart. I saw it coming. I made wise decisions, blah, blah. If you think you're doing great, is Jesus lying if he shows up to you and says, no, you're not doing great? Jesus doesn't lie. He doesn't show up to the world and say you're not doing great. He does that in other places. Here, he's coming to a church. He's coming to Christians and saying, you're not doing great. If a church has financial wealth, but has ignored the spiritual realities, the spiritual wealth of what Jesus gives, we've lost our way. We've absolutely lost our way. So this is uh, a rebuke and a warning, ARCF. God put this in the Bible for a reason. The Holy Spirit wrote the book of Revelation for a reason. And 2,000 years later, we need to listen and go, if our eyes are just on physical wealth and we think we're okay, we're blind. He said it. Listen to Jesus. This the whole lukewarmness. I grew up in, in Southern Baptist circles in the 80s. We always talked about lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is like you're kind of half serious about your Christian faith. That's true, but listen to how Jesus describes it. Jesus says that your half-hearted lukewarmness is having wealth and saying, I'm fine. That's lukewarmness. You're a lousy Christian because you're not pursuing the spiritual realities that Jesus has for you. You call yourself a Christian, but you will not trust Jesus when he says, pursue gold that only I have. Just, no, I'm, I'm too comfortable. I'm fine. I'm comfortable, so I'm not pursuing Jesus anymore, even though I call myself a Christian. 
The physical wealth of this earth has deceived me. I feel like it's eternal when it's not. There's something else, else that is eternal. ARCF, we've got to listen to what the Holy Spirit said to the church at Laodicea. It's a warning for us as well to make sure we are never deceived by physical wealth. Two things I want to share that contradict each other, that kind of go together, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to be done, related to us being a generous people. Nonprofitsource.com is one of the leading statisticians of the North American church. And based on the end of 2018, the most recent comprehensive data, they said a tither, somebody who gives 10% or more of their gross income to the Lord, tithers make up on the low end 10%, on the high end 25% of the average American congregation. Of the average. Couple of thoughts. Number one, ARCF, do you want to be average? I know I don't. So mathematically, we need 26% of our uh, congregation to tithe or better just to be above average. 26% obedience. If you did 26% of what your professor asked in college, how well would that have gone for you? When you ask your kid to do a chore and they do 26% of that chore. What if your spouse loved you 26% of the time? 26% is above average. Now, I would never want ARCF to be at 100% tithing because if everybody can obey God with their money, that means we're not reaching anybody anymore. There are no brand new Christians in your church. But since we're nowhere near having that problem... Let's talk. Brothers and sisters, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, there are all types of obedience that are brand new to you and you're learning and you're reading the Bible for the first time. I'm mostly interested in you continuing to look into the face of Jesus, read a gospel, study a gospel, and get to know your Savior. Some of you, some of you have been Christians for decades and have still refused to obey God with your money. At what point do we just look in the mirror and say, I'm, I've chosen disobedience. I'm just not interested in giving money because I trust money more than I trust God. Um, as I've said before in past weeks, this is part of an apologetic that our world is waiting to see because our world loves and worships money so desperately. They need to see categorically different behavior from us. They need to see generous, crazy, extravagant behavior from us. And then... Brother Randy Alcorn, a Christian finance guru, we're going to listen to him, just this one sentence, and then we're going to pray and be done. God's grace to us is lightning, and our giving to him is thunder. So if you call yourself a Christian today, I want to ask yourself, have you experienced the grace of God? Have you experienced it? To not have a generous heart is to tell a lie. It's to say, I've not experienced the grace of God. When you have, God's grace to us is lightning. Have you ever heard of lightning without thunder? Is that possible? No. It superheated the air and it expanded so quickly that it creates a sonic boom. There's no such thing 
as lightning without thunder. So when we have experienced God's grace, we are marked by it, that we are now gracious with everyone around us. Allow me to pray for us, and then we're going to be done today. Holy Spirit, would you please allow our church family to be completely shaped and marked by the grace that you gave on your cross? Let us be marked by the power you exhibited on Easter morning when you raised yourself from death. Let us be filled with your Holy Spirit that you gave at Pentecost. And Jesus, for those of us that do not yet love you and worship you and serve you, would you show yourself to us today? God, would you help our hearts to see the generosity of the Father when he gave the Son, Jesus, to the world as a gift? God, would you make our church family stronger right now today so that we could be a blessing to our city that shows them the face of Jesus? Lord Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. And God's people said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.